Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 236 for April 20th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about respirators in the wood shop, tips for staining pine, and spraying finish on deep cabinets. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, which is SawStop. After more than a decade, SawStop's combination of safety and precision has made them the number one cabinet saw in North America. Use the interactive tools at SawStop.com to build your build and price... It's a new ad. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> to build and price your ideal saw stop. Then find a dealer online or near you. Protect yourself today with saw stop. That's uh, sawstop.com. Good stuff. I have to say that that little interactive tool they have there is a lot of fun. I have created so many saws. I just hope that I remember not to hit the purchase button. Collect the whole set. Um, I have to go there and check it out. I haven't actually seen this interactive tool. I'll report back next time. Yeah, every time I go, they block me from their site. I don't I don't know what it is. You just can't read that high-tech uh, tomfoolery. <laughs> you don't understand it. They just don't understand old English. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> All right. And a special thanks to a few folks who helped us out with donations. Jamie, sorry. Looks yep, like a, looks like a great one. last name, Jamie, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. Jakowski. There you go. Thanks. Joseph Stout. And I should talk with Spagnolo as a last name. Joseph Stout, Tracy Westill, David Whitmer, and Dwayne. So thank you so much, folks, for going to woodtalkshow.com and clicking those donation links on the side column and giving us either a recurring donation or a one-time donation. However you do it, we always appreciate it. Now, uh, we do have that giveaway finally straightened out. It's got actually like the accurate things in it that we're giving away this month, which is great. So just go to uh, woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and you could be entered to win some cool stuff. Matt's tall dresser project plan is going to be available and also another Wood Talk t-shirt this month. So lots of good stuff there. Lots of fun. Yep, and the, for the project plan, uh, I haven't announced this, so this is a pre- uh, premiere announcement? Uh, sure. So the plan uh, before was just a PDF form, but we now have a SketchUp version, too. So we'll oh, make sure that whoever wins that gets both the SketchUp God. and PDF version. Wow, that's great. What uh, a deal for, I know, for free. That should totally bump up the numbers of people uh, get, jumping into the giveaway. It really should. I mean, we're going to at least get you three You should more. embed the SketchUp in the PDF. Mm-hmm. I, it's uh, more than <laughs> that I. That sounds um, complicated. You can do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's yeah. move into uh, what's on the bench, where we talk about what we've been up to in the shop. And I'll tell you what, not a whole lot for me. I took about four days off, unplugged, tried to go dark, which is kind of impossible to do when you have an online business. But I did my best and did take a break. So I didn't do anything woodworking related because I'm kind of gearing up for the next big project. Uh, hey, and that, also, that her- reminds me, happy birthday, <clears throat> yeah. Mark, and happy birthday, Matt. Oh, thank oh, you, and thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah, you. we Thank uh, you. we have a birthday separated by a day, which is yes. a little weird. So yep. um, as one is ending, the other's beginning. It's a two day party between Matt that's and right. I. Uh, so yeah, that's about it for me. I also, since I hurt my back, it was a good time to take some time off just to kind of you know nurse the lower back a little bit, relax, and not continue to injure myself. So so um, did Mateo get the the coffees right? Yeah, yours uh, black, and then does Nicole take hers black too, or is it with a little sugar and cream? You know, you got to train these kids early on to make sure that they don't mess up you know the mugs. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, Nicole's coffee looks an awful lot like orange juice and water, which is about <laughs> okay. all, all the liquid liquid she can handle right now. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Matt, what about you? What's going on? Uh, well, actually, over the past week, I really haven't been doing a lot. So our, our German visitors are now returning back to their native Munich. And uh, that means I am trying to get things back to normal. The most woodworking-ish kind of thing I did was 
Nope, I didn't even do that. So yeah, no, nothing. <laughs> That's it. Boy, yep. we're uh, we're coming up short. Shannon, can you save us here? Sure. I um I've been kind of putting things on hold for a while, waiting for weather to warm up so I could finish the finishing that I have to do. And every time it gets warm enough, I end up having other things that pull me out of the shop. So I finally just gave up. <laughs> And started back in on the blanket chest that I started a couple of months ago and that I set aside in order to take care of some commissions. So uh, the next project in the hand tool school is a blanket chest. So I started that and have been doing a lot of dovetailing. And supposedly it's going to be cold and, and rainy the next couple of days. So I feel good about the decision. But it does mean that I still have some finished stuff that has to be done. And in my shop, it's it's just... I kind of have to break down a project in order to bring in another one to get the finishing done. So uh, it's it's very much like changing gears and, and it can interrupt at least half a day just moving stuff around and getting mm-hmm. ready for finish. And I also find that I kind of have to like get into the mindset. Um, I don't know. It's different. There's different neurons involved from joinery to finishing. And if you bring your joinery and neurons to your finishing, you end up with really bad finish. <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah. Well, neurons especially will get in the middle of that stuff and just leave tracks everywhere. <laughs> That's actually yeah. one of the things I really like about building furniture is there are different phases so that if you, you know, maybe one isn't your favorite, you're always kind of glad to see the next one on its way. At least I am. I know yeah, a, a I lot of people so. kind of, they don't look forward to the finishing aspects of a project, but I happen to be weird and, and enjoy it, but it is, it's a nice break. It's a change of pace and it kind of makes me enjoy each different phase of the project. I think that's what's actually made me come to like it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly there's a comfort level that comes now that makes me not worried about screwing things up, but it's, it's very laid back yeah. for me. And I think that's probably why, like I was so anxious. Some of it is also, it's just been a nasty, awful cold winter. So I've just been really excited to be able to like open up the shop, air it out and then fill it with more fumes. <laughs> now that I think about that, it doesn't work really well, right. but it's just, it's, it's totally mellow. You know, you can put on some cool music and just sit there with your rag and your brush or no brush or your sprayer or whatever. And really watch this stuff come to life. And it's been kind of annoying me that I suppose I could maybe turn the heater on and get things just the way I want it. But I don't know. I'd rather, I want to enjoy my finishing. I don't want to have to try to squeeze it in before it rains and before the temperature drops too badly here and there. And, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, I'm not a good enough finisher that I really want to try to push the limits of the whole temperature and moisture range either. I know that I would probably end up screwing it up. Without the help of Mother Nature throwing a monkey wrench in yeah, things. So. There's enough problems to, uh, yeah. to navigate. So, <laughs> you know, so I'm kind of, I, I may be, I, I know I'm procrastinating. I know I am. But there is something that I very much enjoy about finishing when, when it's right. It's got to be yeah. right. Yeah. Got to buy me dinner first. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, I was thinking something very similar as you're describing that. So like right now, wrapping up the final portions are going to be wrapping up. That was part of my standing in the shop going, where was, what was I leaving off on? Uh, and I need to start doing the sanding portion, getting it ready for the finish. I, I've done a little bit of card scraping and now I'm getting ready to head into the sanding. And usually when it comes to the sanding now, I, I've decided to stop fighting my hatred for it and just simply embrace it as what it is. It's a simple fact of woodworking. You've got to do something like that. So my plan is to just put on the ear protection and get my vibration-y gloves so that my carpal tunnel's not so bad and then just be one with the sander. You know, that's actually, like finishing, one of my other favorite times. Like, 
you, you got to turn these really boring parts of the process into something positive. So uh, for me, headphones are, it's absolutely crucial because sanding is so boring, but man, can I get a lot of, uh, a lot of minutes in my, whatever audiobook I'm listening to at the time, but during a sanding part of a project, you know, that, exactly. Yeah. Especially audio with an audio perfect for sanding. Yeah. And you can yeah. zone out. It's not a safety issue. You know, if you're zoned out and you could really get into whatever story you're listening to and cover a lot of time, especially when you listen to like at two X speed, like I do. Uh, <laughs> well, but yeah, the I nice thing about great. that then also is if you really kind of get into the book, you're less hesitant probably to just go through and rush it. You know how like so many people will just like try yeah. to force the sander to go faster than mm-hmm. it can, where if you just let the sander do its job, yeah, if you're in that zone, you can just be like, you know what? I've got another grit to go, and oh, I've got how many more chapters left? Let's do this. Yeah, no skipping mm-hmm. grits, nothing. See, but on the converse, I, that doesn't an audiobook doesn't work for me for finishing or um, really things where I've got to like be moving, like glue ups, where I've got to kind of keep my pace uh, up. Pace, okay. I got to throw on a playlist. And thanks to Mark, it's been ska recently. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when I do glue ups, it's a ska playlist. And let I've it keep moving, you moving fast. Moving classical for the finishing playlist. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, you really got to get the uh, the music catered to the task that you're doing. Otherwise, you're all discombobulated. That reminds yeah. me, the other day I was listening to something on the radio, and it turns out that the song I thought was an Oingo Boingo song was actually an English beat, which then Samantha goes, I just saw them in concert. How did you not know that? I'm like, I, was I at the concert? So. Yeah, seriously, Samantha, what's wrong? Uh, all right, let's okay, go into anyway, woodworking podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the music podcast comes after this one. Uh, let's see. Aaron had something to say here. I didn't actually look at this. Who put this link in there? You want to talk about it? Yeah, okay. Uh, so uh, I didn't put it in there. Have you looked at it yet? I just yeah. actually, before the show started, I took a look at this. Will you talk about it, Shannon? Because this is such sure. a, uh, a a nice uh, type of thing that you would talk about where I would totally it's a, screw it it's up. A, it's a well-produced video, first of all. It's a That's why I would screw it up. Local British news or French news. It's on France24.com. So, but I guess it's the English translation I was watching. Um, it is a company that specializes in um, reproduction work, but they have original carvings and panels from like 16th, 17th and 18th century France and really, really, really rich people come in and order. I want a room and they will take, they will pick like the original panels from Versailles or whatever. And this company will reproduce them exactly and install them in, you know, whatever the the house is. And it's it's really cool because there's some great finishing tips in there there's uh, some great carving tips but there's a couple of really funny parts like the 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 host or the the owner of the company his name is Guillaume he's talking about this one enormous um oak wall panel and he keeps pointing things out and you see the mover guys in the background like barely keeping themselves a foot of you know they're holding this enormous like 12 foot long panel and you could tell that it's really heavy by the look on their face Hold it, boys. stopping them and he's like now look at this detail right here and you see that like the guy in the background they must have made several takes because he's so close to rolling his eyes like shut up and let me put this down dude <laughs> and then there's another part where they're they're taking old uh, a brand new white oak panel and trying to make it look old and she pulls out this big jar that's clearly labeled potash. And then the, the voiceover says, now, of course, the recipe is top secret. It's like, no, that's <laughs> potash. <laughs> Not that much of a secret. <laughs> and then nice. there's something else. Where she's putting something else on, and it's clearly labeled on the jar what it is. It's like, okay, you might want to re-edit that. <laughs> Not very good but at keeping it's, secrets. It's very cool. It's lots of um, 
lots of very, very detailed restoration work. And this stuff is beautiful. Nice. Well, it's funny because at the end of it, they're walking through a home and he's, they're showing off some of the pieces that are in place. And I'll be completely honest. I always assumed that that was like some sort of plaster or something. I didn't realize that that was solid wood. But it does explain now how it can take a beating and still stay in place. Some instances it was plaster, in which case that's even cooler because mm. somebody had to carve the reverse of that in order to pour the plaster into it, which is a totally other mind-blowing style of carving. Reverse. <laughs> totally. All right, let's move into Poll of the Week, and that's by our good buddy Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. Last week we asked the question about dog holes, how many you have in your bench, and uh, 30% said none. This isn't whack-a-mole. <laughs> I'm get it. Are things popping up out of those holes that I'm not aware of? What's going on? That's oh, surprising my, to me. Thirty percent. Yeah. Sorry if you hear my phone ringing in the background. That's uh, that's my phone ringing in the background. Thirty-two uh, percent said between two and ten. Twenty-six percent said between eleven and twenty. That's a lot of holes in a bench. Uh, and nine percent said it, that it's somewhere between Swiss cheese to being practically see-through. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which means oh. 20, 20 plus holes in the workbench. Oh my. That's excessive, huh? But I mean, almost ten percent. That's that's. That's a lot. That's, That's quite more a than I can count. Yeah. So I'd be interested <laughs> to see some pictures of, of what this looks like. Anyone who replied to this, you want to leave some uh, pictures on that post. I would love to see your Swiss, Swiss cheese workbenches. Uh, Is that and, the Ratatouille bench that I've been hearing uh, Shores talking about? Hmm, I don't know. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see. Tool storage preferences is next week's poll. So if you want to go to the Wood Whisperer and look for that latest poll there, you'll see it. And it's a question about basically how do you store your tools, either in open bins or closed cabinets or roll around carts, things like that. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you. <clears throat> I just pick up my chisels and huck them into the wall and they stick into the drywall. It's like for, a dartboard kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that's smart. I like that. I usually find that turning on my uh, shop vac and re- pulling the dust out. I'm like, there it is. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> that's where I left that thing. All right. So let's move into our kickback. I've got two voicemails here to play first. Uh, the first one is from Bob Rosieski. A little bit long. I might have to cut it off toward the end, but he's got some really good feedback that shed some light on the honing guide issue that we talked about a couple shows ago. Hey guys, this is Bob Rosieski. Uh, I have a kickback for you guys after your last show about uh, the issues that you brought up about the MK2 honing, uh, honing guide. Uh, you know, it kind of hurts my brain to think about the, the minutia of stuff like this. It's, you know, it's not something that usually matters, but I think the problem that people are probably having with that is not because of the honing guide. The honing guide is probably manufactured to really tight tolerances and is really accurate. I think the issue is more than likely the chisels. Um, specifically, the thickness of the chisel varying from one side of the chisel to the other. I noticed this a lot with my vintage chisels that were typically forged, hand forged, um, where there's an inconsistent thickness from one side of the chisel to the other. And when you grind it or when you hone it, it creates um, you know, a, a, an inaccuracy in the edge because of that difference in thickness. Um, and this is actually more noticeable in wider chisels than it would be in, in a narrow chisel where that thickness difference from side to side isn't as much. Um, I would be willing to bet that the thickness is the issue because most chisels, even the higher-end ones, are hand-finished. The backs would probably be hand-lapped. Um, so there might be some difference in thickness from one side to the other. And even if it's just a thousandth or two difference in thickness from one side to the other, you're going to see a visible difference in the visible angle in that bevel. Okay, I'm going to cut it off there. Uh, I think that's a great point. 
And when I think about my personal situation and what I've observed with this jig, that would be consistent with the results that I'm seeing. Because if you have that inconsistency in thickness, it will clamp down the same way every time. And that, that leads to the results I was seeing where I thought, okay, if this is some variability issue, then why am I not seeing a different result each time I do this? And that would explain it perfectly. It would also explain why a chisel or yeah, a chisel is going to be a little bit different than a plain iron, because I don't really notice this issue on my plain irons. Why? Because they're probably milled to a much more consistent thickness across its width, even though it's wider. If the honing guide was off, you'd expect to see a much more exacerbated problem. Um, and I don't. You know, so at least for me, I don't know about everybody else who's having issues because I've heard some different descriptions uh, that are a little bit different than what I saw. For me, I would just about bet that that is the exact issue that I'm seeing. I so, agree. Very interesting, that's right? Because that's job. the thing. A lot of jigs will pinch from left and right from the sides. This is one of the jigs. Uh, I don't know how many of them actually do it this way, but this one goes from top to bottom. Uh, so you don't have to worry about the width so much for, for what you're, you're sharpening. Um, so if you're going to grip from top to bottom and that surface is, you know, those two things aren't pl parallel planes, if you will, you may have some issues there. So I, I thought that was that was genius frankly and I, I was actually really startled by the amount of feedback we heard on this like the number of people having this problem yeah because i think i talked about this in the show it wasn't something that i really remember seeing a lot of while i was using this jig but i have a feeling this is like posted on the wall and customer service at lee valley right now like well that's the thing are the answers because this is going to this call is going to come in it's amazing how many people are having this issue. But that's, and I'm just, that's it. I'm surprised that I haven't heard this before because it yeah. is a pretty, once he, once he described it like that, it's like, well, damn, that's pretty obvious. Hey, that makes kind of a lot of and sense. And it makes a lot of sense, you know? So anyone who's having that problem, that doesn't fix your problem. But, you know, if you're, it, sometimes these things, a lot of us get in, you get it in your head and you just want to know why, like, why is right. this not working properly? And it's just nice to know, okay, that's why. And I'm going to live with it because it doesn't really matter that much. So. And the good news is it's still sharp. It's still right. very sharp. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wondered about that when I looked at the little facets there, the, those chamfers on the side of the, uh, the chisels, when you kind of look at it, you're like, huh, I want a little bit longer. Maybe it's just my eyes. <laughs> yeah. I am old. Yes, you are. Every year you're getting a year older. Um, all right, next one here is from Jonathan. Just a quick uh, bit of feedback on bow-making woods. Hey, guys, this is Jonathan Strapinski from Beltsville, Maryland. Uh, a little kickback on making a bow and which wood to use. Everything that Shannon has said is true. I've made a couple of bows myself. But what I would recommend for your first bow, and even more for a child's bow, is use bamboo, and more specifically, bamboo flooring. Uh, just go to your local supplier, whoever sells bamboo flooring, and get a piece of stair nosing, bamboo stair nosing. It's really easy to work. It's straight as an arrow of the grain, grain, quote unquote, and uh, it's flexible enough for kids. So that's my recommendation. Bye. Pretty cool. Good call. I never even thought about that. Neat idea. I tried to use the bamboo on my arm. It didn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. There's a sad panda who was going, oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I just want some bamboo. <laughs> Give me that bamboo. All right. Uh, Shannon, you want to take the next piece of kickback? Yeah. Speaking of bow woods, this came in from Andrew. And, um, well, let me let me shorten this. Basically, he said, um, you know, kind of like what Jonathan said, Osage Orange and you are both good. But in order to find them in the right sizes, they're going to be very expensive and they're going to be hard to find, which is very true. So for a cheap, doable bow, you can use hickory and black walnut. Black walnut for the belly and hickory for the back. 
Um, I'm not exactly sure what he means by belly and back. I'm assuming the hickory, like the long part of the bow is going to be in hickory. And then the belly kind of where your hand, the hand, the handle, (laughs) the graspy part is probably black walnut. But more importantly, he passed a site and I shared this on Facebook last week. Bingham Project is a company that sells um, project kits. Uh, They sell the wood, they sell blanks, they sell videos, they have how-to videos on their site. It was, I, I spent quite a bit of time on the site. I was surprised. It's one of those things when like you dig deep enough, um, you always find these kind of little subculture things that exist. There's bow makers and the, everything that they do and all the little fun gadgets and gizmos that go with bow making. It, it's on this site. And they also have some really cool composite type materials like resin impregnated woods. And they do have bamboo now that I think about it. So, um, Again, the original question I think was to make a bow for his son. Right. So this might be well, woodworkers are nothing but people who get sucked down rabbit holes. So I suppose this is one that that could really help him out. But if I remember correctly, there was also a kids bow kit too. So Bingham Project. It's a cool website. Lots of good stuff there. Very cool. I, just for clarification, I went and looked, and it turns out the belly is the the inside of the the bow. So yeah, so where your hand would. Just be resting just lightly. The grippy part. The grippy part. Yes, cool. facing you. just you. call it the grippy part. Well, they had to be technical. Well, hey, we had this next kickback that came in from Kevin. And Kevin says, hey, boys, regarding the problem with getting the chisel or plane blade to square up in the Veritas honing guide, something that helped me is taking the time to make sure the sliding angle stop in the accompanying jig is seated perfectly at 90 degrees when you lock it down. It sometimes has a tendency to shift askew. When the knob is tightened, which would cause the chisel or plain blade to not rest parallel to it. Yeah, I can totally see that. I have once or twice accidentally not tightened that down, and then I go to put the blade in position, and I'm like, why why does this blade keep moving on me? What the heck's going on here? I haven't seen that, but you know what? If that's the case, that sucks. Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? That That shouldn't be able to happen. You know, you should be able to, it's a single screw to tighten it down. You shouldn't have to tinker with it or check it. It should always be square. Well, sometimes my hands are really sore from making all those tacos. So <laughs> That's what it is. It's <laughs> hard for me to like tighten things. Wimpy hands. You really shouldn't be pushing that hard either that you would be shifting it. Yeah. I mean, that thing really clamps down. If it's, you're pushing that hard to shift it. Now, I understand if it's like an eighth inch wide chisel. There's just not right. enough surface area. But that may be a lot of problems people are having. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing, I don't know about you guys, down. but when, when I put that into position and then I put the blade in. So let's just use the example of a chisel. So I'll put the chisel blade in and there's like that one little lip that you would like bump it up against, you know, to make sure that it's up in position. Mm-hmm. And then I tighten down on the uh, the knurled nuts on the jig body itself. And I don't tighten down really hard. I just kind of get it set so then I can flip it over and then tighten if necessary. That the blade always kind of like pulls away from the that squaring jig, like it doesn't stay registered against at least with mine, it kind of like pulls away just a little bit, and it always freaks me out because it looks like it like pulls it backwards, so it's not registering at the distance I originally established. Oh, so interesting. hmm. Boy, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You know what? This is really, I think the moral to the story is, is to not use a honing guide, right? Isn't that where <laughs> or, we're headed with this? Hey, I've been or, thinking or that for the, the whole time, but I didn't want to be that guy who <laughs> jumped on the freehand honing. Well, you know, yeah. I hate to admit it, but actually I have, uh, I still use the MK2 periodically, but I have gone back to one of those side clamp ones uh, for the majority of, of the, the honing that I do. Yeah. And you know what? And we are focusing on problems here and realistically, 
I can get a sharpened chisel in just seconds. You know, I don't have this repeated problem. It's just we're focusing on people who do have issues uh, and it's making it sound like it's a really bad way to go, (laughs) but it's not. (laughs) I wouldn't use it if it was a bad way to go. Uh, Was there another one here from uh, on the same topic? Uh, Oh, yeah, I think so. Let's see. Yeah. So this one came in from Chris. So uh, Chris went on to say, I previously had very similar experience with my honing guide as well. What I found is the way I was standing was shifting my weight ever so slightly to the left, which was causing the out of square bevel as described in the show. Hmm. The way I was originally standing was I had my left left foot a bit forward right foot more back in a comfortable stance and placed what I thought was even hand pressure over both sides of the jig. Now to overcome this, I now stand with legs even to my shoulders. I, I relax and I just kind of zone out enough to not overthink the hand pressure. Once I started doing this, my results were much better. I now stand on one leg <laughs> like a flamingo and have the other leg wrapped around my neck Whoa, hello. Who's that? <laughs> what? UPS here? Uh, Jax is really not no, 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 crazy no. about that stance. Jax is laying on the floor. Oh. That must be Alex. <laughs> oh. I guess we're muted too, which would explain why Shannon's not talking. All right. Well, that's it's okay because I got the next one here. Awesome. Uh, the next one is from Paul. He says, hey, guys, a little extra info on the Graco sprayer that you talked about on Wood Talk 234. I'm actually a design engineer for Graco, although I don't do not design the spray guns and I use these guns on a regular basis. My advice would be similar to what Mark was saying. If you want to spray latex paints or other thick materials, it works way better and way faster than HVLP. On the other hand, if you're doing small projects with relatively thin viscosity materials, HVLPs will give you better results with less fussing. A lot of my current projects are furniture for my kids where I typically do latex paint over poplar. For this, the Graco sprayer works great, but when it comes to clear coating these projects, I go back to my HVLP sprayer. Mm, so good so stuff. Right from the manufacturer's mouth. Straight from the Graco's yeah, mouth. Good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a couple of voicemails here. The first one is about lumber on Craigslist from Joe. This is a question that I was hoping Shannon would be able to answer. Are you back, Shannon? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Here we go. Hey guys, this is Joe from Virginia, just calling with uh, a question for you about uh, lumber that I find on Craigslist. Craigslist, Craigslist, list. wanting to know if I find things like cut lumber that someone's cut from a tree that's come down in their yard or whatever, what all do I need to do um, with that lumber as far as drying process before I can use that in any kind of project that I may use in my home and such? Not so much asking about the milling process, more about drying. Thanks for the show. Really enjoyed. Did you get all that? I did. Good. Uh, okay, Joe. There's a couple of things. Now I'm assuming that the stuff that you build, you want dried lumber because you know there's a whole there's a whole world of green woodworking out there where you can use nice wet sopping wet green wood. So that may be something else that you can look into. Um, the thing that you have to really look out for especially if it's coming from someone's yard is you just, you don't know when was it cut. Um, if it was cut in the spring and summer when the sap was rising, that tree is going to be like candy for bugs and they are going to go at it with great vigor. And you've got to make sure that they don't have any of those bugs, termites, emerald ash borers, powder post beetles, whatever they are, little nasty bugs. You definitely don't want to be bringing that into your house or setting it with your other lumber while it's still infested. Um, some people will tell you you've got to freeze the lumber. Well, unless you've got a really big freezer, that doesn't help. And from what I'm told, freezing does not kill the bugs. You have to heat treat that lumber. You've got to get it up above. And I 
don't recall the temperature now. 220, maybe. I don't, don't, don't quote me on that. You've got to get above a certain point, which is well published on Google, and it has to stay there for about 24 hours in order to get that heat treatment certificate. So <clears throat> unless you're going to build a kiln, and you know there are lots of plans on Google to build solar kilns and steam-powered kilns and all kinds of stuff, that is really the only way to deal with the bug issue. If that's not really an issue, if the tree was felled in the fall when the sap wasn't rising, a lot of times the bugs will leave it alone, but you do want to separate the, the sapwood as much as possible because, again, the sapwood is where the sap is, which is the sugars and things that the bugs like. I'm not going to say that the bugs won't touch the heartwood. I've certainly seen enough examples of that, but they're not real partial to it. And if they have another option, they're not going to go after that. So if you've got this whole log, um, you're going to want to break it down somewhat to begin drying it. And that during that phase, you want to remove as much of that sapwood as possible. Now, I say all this only to say it really depends upon the species. Um, what, what species you have depends upon how you want to dry it. And to that point, kiln schedules are very well published. There's really no secret 11 herbs and spices to drying lumber. Um, you can Google kiln schedules and whatever species it is, and you'll find a really good schedule for a temperature, for how long, how long you should take to get it to that temperature, how long you should take to cool it back down. These are all things that would be good to know if you're going to try drying your own lumber. If you're going to air dry it, you go with a one inch of thickness equals one year of drying. That rule of thumb still works today as it did 300 years ago. Um, I got to be honest, I am not real. <laughs> I, I, Lumber on Craigslist scares me because <laughs> I just don't know. You just don't know enough about it. I mean, obviously it depends upon one situation to the next, but I've seen just in the, what, five or six years I've been working for the, the lumber business, some really crazy stuff come in. And this is from like, actual sawmills, people who supposedly this is their business and some of the stuff that comes in that just was dried poorly, not dried at all, wasn't heat treated, was, I mean, crazy bugs. Some of the stuff that comes out of the containers that come in from overseas is just crazy. That's still alive too, by the way. Mm. So it's just, it, it should be a red flag in general. Make sure you've done your research and know the provenance of that wood and I'm not even talking about legality reasons. I just, I'd be really cautious to bring something in with my stash of wood or into my house that could possibly be infested with something else. And if it's not dried properly, could end up cracking all the hell or warping all the hell and being completely useless later on. Mm. I, was less I was less cautious when I got my dog off of Craigslist. <laughs> I did less research than <laughs> what people should be doing for their wood species that they get. Uh, that's yeah. cool though. I, you know what? I got to pay a little more attention to, to Craigslist for wood because there's, there's definitely great opportunities if you keep an eye on it. I mean, there might be some duds oh, there yeah. and you, like you said, you got to do your research, but um, man, some, some of the stuff I have people emailing me going, Oh, Craigslist find here. And it's just a gorgeous stack of material that they got for just next to I nothing. I know a lot of lumber yards that use Craigslist craigslist on a regular basis just to and be a lot in of, that space yeah just to get rid of stuff yeah a lot of contractors that will like rip out a building it's a great place to go for like reclaim stuff yeah. or like heart pine and stuff like that that you just can't get sure. anymore it's fantastic but the whole i had a tree fall down and i'm gonna sell it now i mean that's just somebody being kind of opportunistic mm -hmm. um, we get people that call the yard all day at a walnut and somebody told me there's big money in walnut and it's <laughs> right. like 
yeah, there is once it's been dried and sawn and heat treated and you've sunk several thousand dollars into that tree right. to get it into board form. And that's why walnut is $8 a board foot True. <laughs> because, you know, you're not going to get $8 a board foot for the log. It just doesn't work that way. Yep. All right. Uh, you know what? I think it's a good time to talk about our sponsor of today's show, which is SawStop. And, you know, the guy here out of the three of us, the best person to talk a little bit about SawStop is the guy who Alex? actually owns is Alex. What do you think, Alex? Was that SawStop showing up right then and there? Is that, is that why Alex was uh, making just, his introduction? He gets so excited when SawStop comes to the door. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Matt actually owns a SawStop. And what I'd like to hear from you, Matt, if possible, because yeah, we've talk, uh, talked about this a few different times, but you did upgrade from something mm-hmm. else. And I'd love to hear your experience between your previous saw and this one and just how the quality uh, overall, how it differs. Okay. Well, both saws, uh, the previous one that I had was also a cabinet style saw. And uh, to me, while I won't quite say that there's night and day, it's pretty darn close to night and day differences. The the setup that I've been able to do with the saw stop, the actual settings themselves for the way that the blade comes up and, and how I set the angle and all that other stuff. The funny thing is before I... Even though I kind of joke around about the fact that I, I don't do any type of annual checkup on a saw to make sure that the settings, the pre-settings are still locked in, um, I actually do. I just like to do a little tongue-in-cheek on that one. <laughs> but with the saw stop, uh, easily now, it's been a, a couple of years, and the settings, uh, I haven't had to tweak them one bit. It's almost kind of scary because then I started thinking, what's really going on here that I don't have to – mess around with these so the beauty of that of course is that it's just that much much less work i have to do periodically to make sure that it's running at the optimal way that i want it to now when it comes to the the cuts themselves it's it's really it's heavy enough that i don't get a lot of vibration off of it so i'm not worried about the blade flailing all over the place the dust collection on it is amazing in fact uh, it was funny because that was one of the things I kept hearing quite a bit about. I was very skeptical skeptical going into it, and uh, I've been really, really impressed. In fact, if there's an issue with the dust collection, it's because of my dust collector. Nothing to do with the saw itself, but even then, uh, I think just the way it, it's set up, I, I've been really, really, really impressed with it. That's, you know, the, I don't have a whole lot of personal saw stop experience, but there was a show several years ago, one of the big tool shows that I went to when they had just introduced the dust collection system there. And it has the shroud that goes over and, and just as important as the workings that you can't see when it comes to the dust collection, it looked like this guard was a very important part of why their dust collection works as well as it does. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember even back then just being like, wow, I've had different types of guards on top of my saw blade and none of them collect with the efficiency that this thing did. Um, right, and obviously absolutely. you got to use the guard to get that kind of collection, but it was amazing. Like all those times I've used guards where the stuff is still like hitting my arm as I push a workpiece through, uh, <laughs> right. none of that was happening on this saw. It was a really impressive setup. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the overarm uh, dust collecting guard that I have on here, like right now, as we're recording this, I know, I believe it's until April 30th. Uh, if you were to purchase a saw stop, you can actually get one of the accessories included with it, which includes the overarm blade guard with the dust collection system in it. And yeah, it's, it's crazy awesome when that thing is on because there really, it's like one of those things I come out and I'm like, seriously, like I was wearing a black shirt. Why is there no sawdust on me? <laughs> and then I fall flat on my face and sawdust is all over the place, but it had nothing to do with my saw stop. There you go. Nice. Uh, so which model do you actually have? 
Um, I have the uh, 1.75 horsepower, the PCS cabinet saw. So I can't remember if that's the professional. I think that's the one that they're calling the professional cabinet saw. Okay. Um, and even though it's only it's only one and three quarter horsepower, uh, it still handles easily 100 percent of the job that I've ever asked it to do. Yeah. Um, no problem whatsoever. I've never blown a, a circuit or anything in my house from that one. It does a fantastic job and did a lot of dado cutting with it just recently on the most current project that I'm working on right now. And again, it, it never failed me, even when I probably pushed it a little bit more than I should have. <laughs> nice. Uh, I have I have just a stupid question. I should probably know this. Well, stupid. why would I know this? Why would I know this? <laughs> How does like does the does the brake work with a dado blade? You actually have to have a uh, a separate uh, brake cartridge that is specifically for okay. the, the dado system. I was going to say, but, it seems like to me, if the dado blade dropped mm-hmm. into that brake, it, A, it wouldn't stop, and B, it would tear it all to hell. So wait, <laughs> let's, let's back up. Let's not assume that everybody knows what saw stop is. We know it. People who've been into woodworking for a while probably know about it, but quickly describe what makes the saw stop a little bit different so that we have some place to start from. <laughs> okay, well, it, it's, a, it's a unique saw in the sense that it has a uh, quote-unquote a braking system in it, which is a cartridge that there's a constant electrical current that is running uh, through the, the brake cartridge and up through the uh, the saw. It's actually not through the brake cartridge. But anyways, though, what ends up happening is when flesh is detected, that's actually uh, enough to break the cur- the circuit so that it will set off the computer system on the inside. It sounds really super fancy schmancy computery kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, but what it does, it sets off the circuit and then the brake engages and it not only stops the blade via the brake, but it drops the blade right down below the table saw top itself. So if anything, you suddenly discover you're, you're standing there and you're like, wait a minute, where did my blade go? <laughs> what, what happened here? Because it is so fast. Well, that but when it happens, you know it happens. Oh yes, it, it's it's loud, and you're suddenly literally just standing there with a piece of wood. Yeah, and you got a little. It is that you hit it, and you also have a little Hershey kiss in your underwear. Uh, yes, 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 you do. It's <laughs> really fun. By Sasta. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's yes, they should always include a free pair of underwear with every saw. They really should. All right. So then, what Shannon was saying is that there's different cartridges depending on whether you're using the dado blade and the standard blade. How that, how yes. how long does it take to do that swap out? That was my next question. Well, I I, I have a video up on YouTube actually of me swapping out. Uh, I believe it was the dado break uh, for the standard break, and it's about. Um, in that instance, I think I was pushing three minutes at the absolute most. And that was with me going, hey, where did I put that one thing that has to go in here to do the one thing? Uh, so it probably takes me longer to loosen the arbor nut than it does to uh, remove the blade and then swap out the cartridges. And even that includes time to get the cartridges uh, set because there has to be a certain distance between the cartridge and the blade itself. And the nice thing, of course, is that they include uh, a feeler gauge with that. So you just kind of put it in there and it's like, oh, well, it's right in position according to this feeler gauge. Put the mount the feeler gauge on the side because it has a nice little magnet that attaches to the body of the saw. And everything's right there. And like I said, three minutes at the absolute most. And I was back in business. Cool. I got one last question for you. So if this has this major safety feature in there. Has this, uh, cause you've had it for a while now, has it sort of changed your relationship or perception of a table saw? Like I, to this day have a certain degree of respect with a little coating of fear 
on it around my table saw. And fear isn't really a good thing. If it's a healthy fear that turns into respect and you understand how to work the tool, that's that's good. But I always get a little bit concerned when people are truly afraid of their salt. Now, does this do anything to you in terms of your confidence around the tool? Uh, it, well, I would like to say it gives me absolutely more confidence, but I have the same healthy respect for the saw as I did with my previous one. It's mm-hmm. still... There's always a chance that I, I might get some kickback thrown at me, so I always take precautions to deal with the potential for that. Uh, and just the idea alone that my hand is anywhere near the blade or could possibly be nicked even just a little bit, yeah, um, yeah it, 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 it's a spinning blade. I don't care if there's a giant <laughs> that would smash the blade down in a cool yeah. kind of Game of Thrones manner. Yeah. It's a spinning blade that just... No, it's it's yeah. Anybody that says that, you know, people using it uh, are are willing to take more risk and everything. um, No, it's a it's a table saw. Yeah, yeah, it will prevent you or at least lessen the cut, but it still kicks back. Yes, that's true. And frankly, at a table saw, I've always told people that uh, getting cut is definitely a major concern. But the the more common thing you're probably going to confront is you're not using a splitter or a riving knife and you're going to get a nasty kickback at some point. Yep, absolutely. Well, good stuff. All right. Well, if you uh, go to sawstop.com and I've been doing it while Matt's been giving us some good information here, uh, I was going through the little building deal that they have there and it's a lot of fun. This is one of those things where even if you're not uh, looking to buy right now, go through and play with the little builder and make yourself a nice little saw stop to your liking. And you could kind of geez, different power, uh, ratings. You can get different, um, uh, table lengths. You can get mobile bases, not have a mobile base. There's just a lot of little add ons and features you could put on here. This is fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's Very a good nice. time over there. It, it's definitely a, a fun one to play around with and, and really start thinking about, Hmm, that would fit perfectly over in that one area in my shop. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks to SawStop for that. We appreciate you sponsoring the show. Go check them out, SawStop.com. And let's move into our email. We've got the first one here. It's from Casey. Casey says, I carve fish and whales out of uh, basswood and sell them as art pieces. The tools I use are a bandsaw, a planer, a rasp, a router, Fordham tool, and Dremel tool. I've been using dust be gone masks and protective glasses, but wanted to step up my dust, dust protection. I recently purchased a, he says, sandstorm, but I think I looked it up. I'm not familiar with the company, but I think it's Sundstrom. I don't know. S-U-N-D-S-T-R-O-M. Anyway, but Sandstorm sounds more fun to me. (laughs) Yes. He says, I recently purchased a Sandstorm SR200 full mask respirator and some SR100 particulate filters to go with it. Was that a good choice? And more importantly, do I need an organic or chemical filter to go with it? Or is the SR100 all I need? I just watched your video on respirators. Great stuff. Very informative, but wasn't sure that I got that answer. All right, so regardless of whether you have a Sunstrom or Sandstorm or 3M like I have, it's all kind of the same rules. Now, just to give you an idea, the SR200 he's talking about is pretty cool. It kind of looks like one of those like end-of-the-world gas mask type deals with the full face shield, and then you've got the the respirator filter in the front. It looks pretty cool. Uh, it also costs 204 bucks. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's all? But, you know, if you have prime shipping, you get the shipping for free. So that's good. There you go. Uh, That makes up for it right there. And there's only two reviews on this thing. One is like five stars. The other is one star. Uh, So (laughs) it's it's right in the middle at two and a half because someone's upset that it didn't come with the filters. And you spend 200 bucks on the the filter, the unit, they expected to get the cartridges for free. 
but if you look at the the writing here, it says filters and cartridges sold separately. So <laughs> anyway, I don't think it's a, ref- a reflection on the quality of the product. Uh, so the bottom line is you have two types of filtration that you need to do. You're either going to be filtering, filtering for particulates, uh, basically sanding dust or anything else that might be in the air. And then you have chemical filtration, and that's where you have to use your organic vapor cartridges or the various other cartridges, Uh, things like ammonia. There's just lots of different things you might need to filter for, and you have to have a specific cartridge that's going to be effective. And for most of what we do in the wood shop, uh, finishes and things like that, you're going to want your standard organic vapor cartridge. It's going to catch most of the stuff that we use. Uh, So, you know, to me, I don't really ever feel the need to use both. So I've got a particulate respirator that's nice and light, and I use that for sanding applications, cutting wood, 90% of the work that I do in the shop. But when it comes time to finishing, I take those off and I pop on the standard organic vapor cartridges, and that's for finishing only. So if he's just talking about the building process, the carving process, he doesn't need any sort of chemical, um, you know, uh, chemical filtration there. It's just not really necessary. So he can get away with the, uh, what did he call it, the SR100 Um, filters, that should be just fine. But if you get to a point where you're applying a finish, then you want to consider something with a little bit more in the way of chemical filtration. Uh, And that's when you'd want that additional filter. I don't know what the code is for it, but you definitely want something a little bit more. So that's across the board for any system. It doesn't matter if it's this or 3M, they all kind of have the same thing. You've got just particulate, then you've got the chemical. And then a lot of times you'll have a particulate uh, filter that goes in front of the chemical filter. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. You just have to keep in, keep in mind that the mask or the, the respirator itself gets heavier with those extra cartridges on it. So if you're using it all the time like that, it gets a little bit fatiguing on your head and your neck. So that's why I like to have the, the standalone particulate filters for just sanding operations. And mm-hmm. that's all I have to say about that. You know, in counterpoint to that, because when you told me the price, I was a little surprised yeah. um, that it was that cheap. Because in my experience, when we're talking about like premium respirators, I think of the Trend Air Shield, which is like four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, well, that's got um, a motor in it too, right? So you know, this is not bad actually. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pricey, but I guess if you're looking for something that's simple and comfortable, if you've just got a regular three M sixty five hundred or seventy five hundred, like I use that's not going to give you that full face shield action at the same time. So this is all one piece. It's a, you know, really convenient setup for, for what he's doing and probably very comfortable compared to having some other type of guard, you know, like the kind you use for turning Um, one of those giant face shields in front of your face, plus a respirator (laughs) underneath that, which I do actually looks a lot like the mask that that pilot just flew over your house was wearing. That's right. Yes. He said, hi, by the way, (laughs) he's waving right now. Or he or she. You want to know if you do a flyby again? <laughs> he's, well, again, he's going up and down vertically over my house right now. So, nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, you're up. All right. Well, this email came in from Richard, and he says, For financial reasons, I often find myself building with pine and occasionally poplar. We like the look of walnut for our furniture, but I can't afford it. What precautions do I need to take in staining pine or poplar to match the color of walnut? And what finish would you recommend for such softwoods when building coffee tables and such? So, you know, I, I remember way back when I, I used to always want to do this, and I fr- quite frequently will get questions and uh, requests from people when I go to build them a project. They're like, well, if you made it with from pine, uh, would it be a, a lot cheaper? And Yeah, but you won't like the result that you want if you are asking me to make it look like cherry or to make it look like walnut or something. Mm. So I completely get 
where Richard's coming from here. I, I think before we go any further, we definitely need to to kind of suggest that when whenever you're working with something that's not the wood that you want it to look like, there's going to be certain limitations that you're just simply going to have to accept and, and deal with before we go anywhere else. So when we're talking about pine, uh, one thing that we're really going to be concerned about this is the potential for blotchiness in there. So we want to control the potential blotchy that we're going to be getting from this. Now, I added two uh, articles in here, both from some guy named the Wood Whisperer. Uh-huh. Uh, one is uh, an article from way back when that was called Blotch Control to Rule Them All. And I'm going to make a couple of suggestions out of here that uh, this guy has has recommended in there. And then the other one, he actually put out a video called Coloring Blotchy Woods. So This guy comes, sounds uh, productive. Uh, I think he doesn't have a life. <laughs> he doesn't have much going on, does he? <laughs> he doesn't have a lot going on. Apparently, he likes to watch planes flying by and his dog uh, coughs. I guess, you know what? He probably didn't have kids at the time. That's, That's the difference. That's what it is, okay. yes. So, but anyway, so definitely check out both of these articles. Really, the take-home message for dealing with something like pine, which again is, is going to be really, really blotchy. And there's other woods out there that have a little blotch issue with them. Is you need some sort of blotch control. Now, there's uh, pre-manufactured uh, uh, items out there. Actually, all of them are pre-manufactured to some degree. But we're talking like uh, I know Minwax makes a, uh, a what do they call it, like a pre-stain controller or something like that. Conditioner and then, usually. Yeah, that's a conditioner. And then uh, Charles Neal has a, uh, a color wood controller is what it's called. Or I've never used it, um, and it's been so long since I've used it in the other ones, but does something very similar. And, of course, you could even use a kind of a thinned version of shellac uh, to help take care of this. Now, the one problem with using these is sometimes they uh, mute the color. You might not get as dark, as rich as you want it to be, so you may have to... Uh, add a little tint or something to it to help take care of it. Uh, but that is usually one way to help take care of pine and its blotchiness. Uh, poplar, I don't really have much of an issue with that one other than the fact that I, all the poplar I get seems to have that greenish tint in it. Mm. You guys ever run into that? Sure. Yeah, it's heartwood. Yeah. But you can, so you know, you can use dyes to kind of cancel out the color or make it brown in a way. Um, But you know what? Honestly, the blotch control to rule them all article is aptly named. Once I started using Charles Neal's blotch control formula, the Mm -hmm. other stuff, like, you know how some people will use shellac to do a little bit of blotch control. This is just so much better. It's so much better. Like nothing can touch the the way this works. It's super consistent because a lot of times uh, preconditioners don't work well enough. They let too much of the stain through and then you wind up with blotch and it's they're a little bit trickier to use too because you, a lot of times you have to apply them while it's uh, still wet on the surface. If you go the shellac route, you're creating a film on the surface and now you got to be careful because the more you apply, yeah, you'll get less blotch but you'll actually not get as much stain penetrating into the wood fibers. So the blotch control stuff that Charles Neal has is magic. It just lets the stain through, but lets it through evenly. And it's very easy to use. You apply it to the surface ahead of time, you let it dry, and you're applying your stain to a dried surface. So it's not as much of a rush as some of these pre-stained conditioners can be. So seriously, don't even bother with the other stuff. I'm sure there's some great things that work okay, but uh, Charles Neal's stuff is top-notch. It's great. Nice, because I was going to say the, the Minwax one that I've used in the past, while it has worked from time to time, it is definitely hit or miss. So Charles yeah. Neal, yeah, that one's going to go on my 
on my uh, my to do list to grab that for anything I'm going to be dealing with here. One thing I would we definitely are going to recommend is, of course, you need to take some scraps and really play with them to try and get that color uh, to see what you can come up with. Uh, if you are going to stain it, one thing that you might want to use uh, is a gel stain. These tend to uh, work pretty decent with. Um, a, a lot of uh, the, the blotchy woods. Now, I, I have to say, it's been a long time since I've done any type of staining with uh, uh, pine. As again, I mentioned at the beginning of the question, I get question, requests all the time to do something with pine, and I usually am able to somehow go, no, uh, hmm. we will have to try and go with the wood that you want to because it's just such – it's so much extra work to try and, and tint these things and get them the color you want. But again, Richard, I completely understand where you're coming from here with what it is that you're trying to go to. So hopefully either using the blotch control type of uh, chemicals or, or uh, finish to help you out there or maybe even again like the the gel stain uh, might help you uh, with that also. Now, as for a finish uh, for, say, a softwood when building coffee tables and such, uh, typically – to me, it's it's whatever finish you're you're comfortable going with, and and often for me, it depends on what the end use of the piece of furniture or project I'm using will help to dictate what type of finish I'm going to use. So, for example, with a coffee table or maybe a dining table, I want something that's going to have a little bit uh, more strength to it and be able to withstand a little uh, abuse. So, I'm going to go with something more like a a film finish, say like a polyurethane or. Uh, yeah, probably a polyurethane. I really like those. I know other people don't. But uh, to me, the end use of the item will dictate the finish that I'm going to end up putting on it. Very good, sir. Sounds good to me. Of course okay. it does. I said it. <laughs> Came true. out of Matt's mouth. It's got to be That's good. True. Don't question Matt. This one comes from Dave. He says, I recently purchased an Erlex 5500 HVLP sprayer. Good sprayer. That's the one I have. The first project I tried to use it on was some cabinets and shelves for a mudroom. Unfortunately, due to the fact that there is a bench on top, the shelves are 16 inches deep. Additionally, some are only about 6 inches high to accommodate a typical pair of shoes. Without the back of the cabinet installed, I tried to use my new sprayer to paint the shelves, but I'm beginning to think that sprayers have their limitations, and this may be one. Are there tricks to spraying long, deep, and uh, long, deep and narrow shelves, or is this an example of when I just need to pull out my old faithful paintbrush? I would have preferred to paint the pieces before gluing while they were just flat boards. That brings up one more question. I assume it's best if you do not paint the dados before gluing them. Well, that's the easy question. Yes, uh, if you you do not want to paint any joinery, or that glue just won't do its job. Um, you're sealing you're sealing up the wood essentially, and the glue won't be able to penetrate. And yeah, bad bad joinery results from painted uh, wood. Not a good idea. So, um, Mark, have you ever used an Erlex to paint? Yes, you have. Okay, I've only ever used my Erlex to spray like film finishes, clear finishes. I didn't love it. I was gonna say you need a. I, I don't have a tip. <laughs> Big enough for pushing paint it's, through. It's tough going. I mean, it, the what, what did he say? The fifty five hundred. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not the most powerful turbine out there, and it right. will have some difficulty pushing out latex paint. Right. The one thing I can say, and and this would be whether it's a film clear finish or or or, or paint. If you're working inside a cabinet, um, especially if like the back is on the cabinet. Um, you really want to thin that out um, because you're going to get bounce back 
all over the place. Um, you can play with the um, the pressure, uh, the flow. Oh, what is it called? <laughs> the pressure? The flow? I don't know. Both. How much stuff comes out the front? Um, yeah, both. Yeah, uh, how it's much... air pressure and liquid flow. <laughs> yeah, that same stuff. <laughs> you can play with that to dial it back so you don't get so much bounce back. But if you really dilute the finish and put a lot more whatever the the – the carrier is the solvent, whether it's water or whatever. If you've got a lot more of that in there, um, obviously you're going to get more material flashing off and not staying on the surface. So you're going to get a smoother finish. That's been the only way I've been able to spray inside cabinets is um, really, really thinning things out and then just applying more coats. Now, when it comes to painting, I'm not using my Erlex. I've used a, a Wagner um, sprayer for actual painting in built-in bookshelves and things like that. That was the same type of deal. I thinned the paint by half in order to get it to lay down smoother. It would go on and it looked a little questionable at first, but it flowed as it dried and more of the 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 carrier flashed off or evaporated out. And I ended up with a much smoother surface. Mm. Now, it did mean that I had to almost double the number of coats that I put on. So, um, if you're talking about something that's only six inches high, though, <laughs> yeah, you could reach the the paintbrush in there. But there's the other aspect of who can actually see into that cabinet. Yeah. So if there is a little bit of orange peel, it might be okay. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm encouraging anybody to do less than their best work, but let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to even see inside that. It's going to be dark in there once you put the back on. So you might be able to cut yourself a little bit of slack, but um, first and foremost, just thin it by half, um, maybe even more and, and play with it and, and thicken it up from there till you get the result you're looking for. Yeah. And you do have to be a little bit careful how much you dilute those things. If you're using, you know, water, um, there are products out there like flow troll that you can add. They're just additives that help the product flow out. A little bit better. You can try you can buy that, that in the pharmacy aisle, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Right next to the uh, rest of the laxatives. And mm. so it's, um, you, you do want to be careful with that. But if you're talking about a six, six inch cubby, I would do everything in my power to make sure that was finished before I did the assembly. And, <laughs> yeah. and he's right. You know, you don't want, you don't want the dado painted, but there are ways to prevent it, uh, from being painted. You might even try something where you do like a partial assembly uh, drop the piece in, right? So you've got your your partitions are in place, but leave the top off and the back off and then spray it like that. So your your workpiece itself is actually protecting the dado and you're getting the paint right up to that edge. Now you have to be careful because you may wind up getting a solid layer of paint connecting those pieces. So you might have to maybe get a sharp blade or something to cut the corner to make sure it separates so you could pull it back out for assembly, but use the pieces themselves to block it and paint it while it's not glued together, but partially assembled. And you might have a way of getting it. Like I would do anything in my power to make sure I wasn't in the position of trying to either brush or spray such a small cubby like that. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, me too. Okay. You guys yeah, are quiet. Like you guys that. are quiet. You make me nervous. It's like, Sorry, you know, I was, every time, every time somebody says cubby, I think of the Mickey mouse show with cubby, Roy, Annette. Sorry. I'm still working. You on the are old, Max, sir. But. Yeah, see, I don't know why either, because the Mickey Mouse show wasn't on. That's even, that definitely live, is even so. before your <laughs> before your time. But uh, you know what? The the Disney Channel used to run the classic Mickey Mouse Club probably, yeah. episodes, didn't they? 
Yes. Yeah, I thought so. All right. Anyway, if you want to support this show, you can do that. Just head to woodtalkshow.com and look for the recurring donation and one-time donation links on the right-hand side. You can pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And if you want to, head over to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and get in on that fantastic giveaway that we've got there for you this month. We'll announce winners at the end of the month for that. Uh, You can also leave us an iTunes review just head to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us that five-star rating just like, you won't believe who it is, Todd Clippinger, folks. Hey, of, what? Of the American the Craftsman Workshop. You, you know what? Oh, my Lord. He, he stopped doing a lot of the, the stuff online, but one thing he's still very productive on is Instagram. So, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah so I follow right. him there, you're and right. he actually posts quite a bit there, uh, which I, I didn't realize until recently. So I was like, oh, this is great. I can keep up with what Todd's doing. Uh, but anyway. be the Todd Clippinger I'm following. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Just because he's got to go and like make a living and stuff. I know, right? God. Priorities, Todd. Come on. But anyway, uh, it's the American Craftsman Workshop, and I believe that's the, the website as well. So Google that. You'll find some good information. Uh, he says, I've been listening to Wood Talk for quite some time, and I've never felt to comment or uh, leave a rating. But as the internet becomes more crowded with podcasters touting woodworking information, it just becomes more polluted with bad information. And this is what compels me to comment and give my endorsement to Mark, Matt, and Shannon. They are legit. That's uh, We didn't pay him to say this, by the way. Uh, that's really it. They actually have good, accurate information. As a pro, they're just uh, they are one of a of just a couple of podcasts that I can bear to listen to. That doesn't leave me screaming at the shop stereo. You can't do that. Uh, they've got a good broad spectrum of perspective and various levels of skill that, when combined, keep a pretty keep it pretty interesting. And the conversation, blah blah blah. I'm totally screwing this up. Anyway, he likes it. Uh, well, he, he hasn't listened to this episode <clears throat> yet, so there's a good chance that we will ruin that now. Yeah, because as I'm totally butchering his comments. So <laughs> he says, when you're looking to consume woodworking information, keep the wood talk guys on your short list of things to listen to. Then go out to the shop and put what you learn into action. Your friend in the shop, Todd Clippinger. I'm going to say, yes, this was a helpful review. Click. Very nice. Uh, yeah, one, I'm going to do that too. One more thing to promote. We have a nice little song that you listen to on the intro and uh, outro of our show, and that song was made by a gentleman named Andrew Allen, who's a really cool guy and a very talented musician, and he's got a new project that just showed up in my inbox, and I figured I would mention this. Uh, From the Andrew Allen trio, if you like jazz and sort of that freeform jazz kind of thing, which is fantastic, I could listen to that all day long, they occasionally do some really good albums based on geeky type things and remakes of old songs. And with all of the Star Wars business going on with the new movies coming out, they are hopping on it. And uh, they've got a new album that they're kickstarting called Live from the Cantina. And I'll put the link in the show notes for that. Basically, they're going to be doing a bunch of Star Wars jazz tributes. So they'll take classic Star Wars uh, songs that you'd be familiar with from the movies and turning them into uh, great jazz renditions. A lot of times it's interesting because you'll uh, he's got a couple of these albums and you'll listen to it for a few minutes and you'll you'll sort of know it like oh that is something what is that and you listen to it and you're halfway through and then finally it hits you that this is like the opening theme to a certain type of show or, or uh, movie so really good stuff sweet what is that is that the sample. It's the Andrew Allen Trio doing the Avengers movie title. Oh, there you go. Sounds yeah, like from drums. From the last Kickstarter campaign that I supported. <laughs> Just sounds like drums. Uh, so usually they don't have any trouble getting these, but a lot of times you get a nice Kickstarter bonus or you get the CD as part of it. Um, there's only nine days to go. Oh, they're get, they're cutting it close. So you need to go and back this project. I'm glad we uh, decided to talk about this. 
Sweet. Uh, yeah, get in on that because I want to make sure this thing happens. I, I would personally, I want this. <laughs> so yeah, go the there. Secret, the Secret Identity album is awesome. Yeah. It's a double album. I listen to that in the shop all the time, actually. Yep. It's really, really good. All right, Matt, how about you get the contact info going and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, a topic, suggestion, or are you wondering where you two can get your uh, wood talk ears, just like the, the the Mouseketeers used to have. There's several different ways to contact us. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, you'll find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And in case you're wondering, that's spelled W-O-O-D. Dang, that was good. T A L K, because they didn't mess it up this time, and because it's going to start with a K because I messed that up. Uh, oh, that's good. Show.com. Wow. So I just, I don't know, maybe Andrew's listening, or this is just a very odd coincidence, but I just got invited to a Dropbox with wave files of uh, recordings. Oh, that's oh. really cool. Maybe he was actually listening to the live stream, hoping that the dancing angry chicken was going to be there, and then these numbers. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh man, can I can I play two seconds of it? Oh, would he be mad at me? Because maybe he was hoping to be making a live appearance on the dancing angry chicken. I'm gonna play two seconds because I, I just need to hear this. Let's see what it sounds. Like. that's enough wow that's good oh i can't wait to hear this okay yeah you know what i need to go watch me some old-fashioned star wars so Uh, (laughs) i'm telling you man that will get you in the mood it's so good Uh, two seconds of it and i'm already hooked all right well now i gotta stop this show because i need to listen to this (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for listening everybody uh head over to that kickstarter support this because it needs to happen the world needs jazz renditions 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 of star wars music and uh, and less renditions of of matt doing the mickey mouse show with wood talk lyrics (laughs) (laughs) just because i feel like we kind (laughs) of glossed over that and it was it was was, a special kind of awful that really needs to be celebrated but it was a gallant effort i mean really it was I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work with a net on that one next. Oh, I can't anymore. Yeah. Oh. Hello. All right. Uh, yeah. So have a good one, folks. We will catch you next time. Yep. Bye. See you around. <laughs> you sound so depressed, Matt. <laughs> <laughs>